part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. I will confess that, um, uh, you know, we, we kind of go book by book, verse by verse, and we try to be very methodical about that. There may be a few times that we kind of combine uh, a little section here or there. Uh, but I almost wanted to skip over these five verses this morning because I'm going, you know, I don't know that that's going to be super relevant. I don't know that people are going, hey, will you tell us more about pastors, elders, and how we as a body, we need to be humble. And it's not one of those things that if you want to talk about felt needs, it's not something that you probably woke up this morning thinking about. You were thinking about, okay, where's my coffee? You were thinking about how do I pay these bills? You're thinking about all the other things that are dilemmas in your life that really are affecting you, your mind, and they capture our heart and our mind. Don't know that too many people this morning woke up going, you know, I hope the sermon is all about just church and doing church. And, and that's okay. That's okay. But, you know, there's not a better time. I used to tell people at Shadowbrook, I said, you know, there's not a better time to preach about finances than when it comes up in the text and you're actually not in financial trouble as a church. You know, I said, that's a, you know, because then when you preach the truth and you don't have to worry about, okay, they're thinking that we just want them to dig deeper this morning or something like that. A great time to talk about pastors, elders, and, and a corporate body of believers is a time when you have hopefully, <laughs> good pastors and elders and a good corporate body. And you, you just have people that you really enjoy being with. It's a good time that you're not spending that time going, okay, is he talking about Bruce? Is he talking about Sherry? You, know, you don't have to sit there and go, okay, is he talking about that little fight that we had? No, when there's peace in the fellowship of believers and when there's, you know, hopefully a, a good, healthy church, it's a great time to remind ourselves of those things that God has said about how to have a healthy church. And so this morning, because we do want to be very faithful to the text, we don't want to skip over some passages just because it may not be as relevant to, uh, to our own personal life. We're going to treat 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, just as God has put it out there. Uh, quick personal question this morning. How long did it, did it take you to decide what you're going to wear this morning? How many would say that it was over 10 minutes? I appreciate that honesty. Okay. How many, okay. <laughs> you know, how, how many was it done for you? Okay. Good. And if Jeff was here, Jeff would be raising his hand today. Okay. If he wasn't in the back. How many of you did it yesterday? I know Carly, she lays hers out on Saturday night. Irons it, everything. It's ready to go. For some reason, we slept to 5.59, you know, and slept in. She'd be ready to go, you know, <laughs> on Sunday morning. Mine is kind of like, it's 9 o'clock. We've got to go to church, you know. What's in here? Uh, that, that's what a lot of guys are. Or how many of you, it was on top? <laughs> because it was clean. It was on the clean stack and it was on top. Well, the reason I asked that this morning is not to be cute or funny or anything like that. But, but Peter's going to use this term. He's going to say, clothe yourself in humility. And when we think about clothing ourselves, there is sometimes some care and some attention that we give to that. You know, it's one of those things that when we begin to think about what the, you know, what we're going to wear, some of us give a little bit of attention, others more. Some do all kinds of careful preparation. Hey, we're, you know, it's church tomorrow. I'm going to wear this, and I'm, or I'm going to wear that. And, and so there's a lot of thought that goes into it. So when he says clothe yourself in humility. 
He's talking about something that's very purposeful. And now that's actually going to come in verse 5, and he's going to lead up to that. But I'm starting with verse 5 because I want us to see where we're going this morning. Because all the verses 1 through 4 is going to make a lot more sense if you know kind of where we end up. And so let's look at verse 5 to begin with. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter is writing to the church, and up to this point, he has been talking about suffering almost weekly. We have probably had at least four or five uh, different sermons on suffering because it's the repeated theme throughout 1 Peter. Remember, he's writing to various churches in Asia Minor, not just one church, but a lot of churches, and they're going under a lot of attack, probably from the Romans, probably from Nero. It could have been the guy that followed Nero, but they're under attack. Some of them are actually losing their lives for their stand of Christianity. So this is not a good time to be a Christian in the sense of it's not an easy time to be a Christian. This is a time that it really costs them something. So Peter, as one of the leaders of the church, wants to encourage the people. He's not saying that this is instantly going to go away. Nowhere in this whole entire letter does he say that just because you love Jesus, all your problems go away. No, in fact, he said just the opposite. At first, when he's dealing with suffering, he says, okay, you know, you, you are to endure suffering. And then we saw a couple of weeks ago, he had the audacity, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, to say not only do you endure suffering, but you what? Rejoice in suffering. And most of, admit, most of us admit it, we're just not there. That maybe we can get the enduring suffering because we know that Christ Jesus is on our side. But to really... Rejoice, But we gave three good reasons why. And we looked at the text, and it says, okay, God's not going to waste this. There's a purpose even in our suffering for Jesus Christ. And so then we can rejoice because it's not wasted. It may not be wanted. It may be hurtful. But it's never wasted. Because if there's one thing that would really be tragic in life, guys is not only if we had to go through hurtful experiences, but we'd really solve those hurtful experiences as being totally wasted, and they serve no purpose at all. Then you have misery on top of misery. Would you not agree? But when God comes back and look, I, I will even use these most hurtful times of your life, I will use them for my glory and for your maturity. Remember he talked about fiery trials. And that, that fiery trial wasn't just the intensity of the heat, but it was this refining. He says, this is how you get a transformed heart and mind. He says, you're going to be more like Jesus when you, when you come out of this because this trial is going to kind of make you run to the cross that much more. So that's kind of where we've been. And so now Peter is what we call exhorting the church and believers, both the, the leaders. How many of you used the word exhort in your verbiage this past week? That's what I thought. It's one of those things that exhorting is not one of those things. I mean, I, I just can't see... That, you know, your dad said, you know, I exhort you to go to bed now because it's kind of late, okay? Now, I, he would just say, Josh, go to bed. Okay? It's, it's midnight. Go to bed. You've got to be up early in the morning. To exhort somebody is not, a, it's not a word that we really use a lot, and it's not something that we're really familiar with, but we see it a lot in the Bible. Either that exact word or a phrase like that word in the Bible, and most time we see it from people like you know, James, are, you're going to see it a lot in James this week. Uh, you're going to see that in the writings of Paul and Peter and these other New Testament writers. And they're exhorting Christians. They're not, it's, it falls short of a command. It's kind of like a command, 
but it's not done with the intensity of you will do this. It's to incite, to encourage. So here, it's very important for us to understand the mindset of Peter. He is not wagging the finger at these churches in Asia Minor. He knows that they're suffering. He knows that they're hurting. And he's there to incite them to be encouraged even in these very difficult days. Does that make sense? Because there's a whole different, you know, I had some really good teachers that came along biblically with me, and they incited me. They challenged me in discipleship. That's what I believe is so, so valuable about, about discipleship, is as we sit down as men, as we sit down, that, that we're inciting one another to live this kind of life. We're encouraging. We're not commanding, you will go do this. Now there's this sense of, I want you to win, and here's how you win, and this is going to be really hard. And so I incite you to do this. I encourage you to do this. I exhort you to do this. That's what he's doing here. Let's go back now to this exhortation is to clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Purposefulness. Strategy. If you're going to go to uh, UGA football and you're going to go to the game, that right by itself is already going to probably get you down to certain colors maybe. Whether you go to that game, Andy, in September or you go in November, isn't that going to be a kind of a decision-making factor too of do I wear short sleeves or do I wear my coat? If Coach Smart says, okay, this Saturday's game is blackout, that even kind of gets you that much more purposeful. You say, okay, not only am I going to wear my UGA stuff, but I'm going to wear my black you know, shirt and all that because he's called for a blackout. And so he wants everybody to wear that so that when we fill the stadium, it's either going to be all black or it's going to be all red or whatever. Or all, you know, whatever. There's a purpose of what we do. Believe me, when, Paul, when Peter is saying here that he wants us to clothe ourselves in humility, he's being very purposeful in his wording, and we will see that. Now let's go back to the beginning. Peter is going to give instructions to the leaders of the church and to the flock of the church. He calls the leaders, he uses several different terms, he uses elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers. And he uses them interchangeably. Any one of those, all are standing for pastors, elders of the church, the the leaders of the church. And he's going to give to them seven different instructions. To the flock of the church, the sheep of the church, the people of the church, he only gives one instruction. So really, if we want to, you know, if you want to say, okay, why don't you want to preach this this morning? Maybe it's because there are seven instructions coming this way. And there's only only one going out to, you know, to the people that are not elders or pastors or overseers of the church. And, but he, he does this as he gives the seven commands to the leadership, the one command or exhortation to the flock. He binds it together there in verse 5 by saying, clothe yourselves, what's the next phrase? All of you with humility toward one another. He says, okay, guys, I'm going to bind all this instruction, these seven instructions to pastors and elders, this one instruction to the body of Christ. I said, I'm going to bind them all, and I'm going to give you this last exhortation. Okay, clothe yourself in humility. With that in mind, let's go back to verse 1. Look what he tells the pastor elders, verse 1 and 2. So I exhort, there's that word. I want to incite you. I'm trying to encourage you. Yes, it's kind of a command, but it's not with the sense of I've got a whip in my hand and I'm making you do this. I want you to win here. 
I'm encouraging you. So I exhort you, uh, the elders among you, as a fellow elder. He even brings himself, even though Peter would have been, you want to say, one of the top guys in all of Christianity at that time, along with Paul. He, he says, okay, I'm a fellow elder. I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. A few things that we see there. The first thing that he says, again, he shows humility. He demonstrates it by saying a fellow elder. Believe me, by this time of Christianity, Peter could have said, along with Paul, from his high lofty place, now guys, y'all weren't with Jesus. I was actually there with Jesus. I was on that Mount of Transfiguration, and he could have been from a lofty position, and he could have really kind of looked down and preached down to the other pastors and elders that were there, but he didn't. He said, no, I'm a fellow elder. He said, I, I want you to know, I, yes, I saw the sufferings of Christ. I was there. In fact, he said, that's where I failed my major test. And yet grace prevailed, and Christ prevailed. So he calls, number one, he says, humility, but he also says it with authority. See, one of the things that we kind of struggle with in, in life of any kind of leadership is, okay, we want strong leaders, but we also want leaders that listen to what we want. Would you agree that that's kind of, you want a boss, I mean, between humility and dictatorship. How many of you have worked for a dictator? No. One thing about working for the dictator, you don't have to worry about what's expected. You know, they're just going to bark it out. Okay, here's what's expected. One, two, three, four. And so we're going, no, we just want somebody who's much more compassionate, that understands. But have you ever worked with somebody who truly is just this very, maybe humble person, which is a great quality, but they're not a leader, and you don't know which way is up and which way is down, and you don't know what's expected of you? If you've ever been under the leadership of a laissez-faire, what we call a laissez-faire leader, it's very frustrating. Because you may paint something green and they say, no, well, I really wanted it red. Why didn't you tell me red? Well, I didn't want to hurt any feelings. What we, look, what we see here is in all leadership, whether it's in the home, God has called us, he's called those to lead, but he wants a shepherd's heart as we lead. And this humility is what kind of balances the strength of character and the strength of leadership so that you can still be this very strong leader. And yet, if you're guided by this heart of shepherding and this mindset of humility, then it's like the perfect combination. I worked with a pastor a long time ago, and he was just a strong leader. You didn't have to ask twice how he felt about something. And yet, he was one of the most compassionate men that I've ever met. And so it was one of those things that when you did fail, when you did kind of blow it, he was the first one to bring grace to the table. And there was forgiveness. And I, I learned so much working in that situation. Number one, strong leadership. You know, leaders lead, please. And yet a heart of compassion and shepherding. See, what we see here in the model of the church is not so different from the model of the home. God has called two equals, husband and wife. They're equals. But he's called them to a role, one, the man to be the leader. He doesn't say, okay, you're more important. No, we're equals. And that's why like, we have the plurality of elders in our church. That means that there's not just one pastor, but that we have multiple pastors and we have multiple elders. This is a really good thing, guys. So you don't have a dictator. So you don't have somebody that, that you have a balance there, a check and balance. But in the home, what a great father, dad, husband this would be that would be a strong leader 
and yet the heart of the shepherd. Wow. I'll take one of those, Pastor Bobby. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine raising your kids, ladies? With somebody who's strong in leadership? They're decisive. They're your equal, but they take the lead because it's the role that God has called them into. And yet they have the heart of the shepherd. And they're humble. And they just love well. You're talking about two incredible strengths, taking leadership and humility and mixing them together. And ultimately, this is what we see in Christ Jesus. I mean, if there was ever a leader that was determined, it is Jesus Christ. He comes on the scene and begins his ministry. Hey, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. He knows his mission from day one, and he is targeted in that three-year ministry toward the cross. He never wavers in his direction of going to the cross. And yet, has there ever been a more compassionate, shepherding spirit, mind, and soul than Jesus Christ? That, that would see that one on the side, that, that leper, that everybody else runs past or yells at, don't you know that you're supposed to not even be in the public streets? He goes over to the leper and he touches them, embraces them, and, and heals them. Strength, but the heart of the shepherd. So the first thing that we see that Peter does here, he said, okay, I want you to be leaders. I want you to be protectors. I want you to be caregivers. I want you to do all this. I, but I want you to do with the heart of the shepherd. What is the heart of the shepherd? Well, number one, it means knowing your sheep. You can't lead them until you know them. One of the trick questions that sometimes a search committee will ask you if you go interview as a pastor, how would you lead our church? And it's really kind of a trick question. I've actually asked that to ministers as I would hire them to see what they would say. And sometimes they will come up with a full agenda. Oh, I would do these A through Z. And that's great. I, I like that they have determination. But I'm going, you don't even know us yet. How do you know that J and S and T really belong here? Know our people, then you can lead our people. At the same time, if somebody comes up and says, I just don't know. I want somebody with some gumption in some direction. And that's what Peter is asking. He says, look, a shepherd knows that he has to take his flock from this pasture to this pasture. And yet he knows the fastest sheep. And guess what the shepherd also knows? The slowest. And he also knows the sheep that is the one out of the 99 that just wants to go squirrel. And, you know, and just kind of go off that direction. And yet he's a shepherd that says, I'll leave the 99 and, and I'll go get the one. When you're in the 99, that's kind of frustrating because we were making progress to dinner the next pasture when you're the one that is your salvation and not only would you have been missing dinner you'd have been missing life guys and that's the beauty of body life but we're ready for the next pasture and so we're kind of moving along and all of a sudden we're frustrated because you know Ricky squirrel man he's out of here and we're going, man, we could have been at the next pasture now. But the shepherd hesitated. He went off so he could find Ricky. He found Ricky over here. He brought him back. We've lost an hour. Our tummies would be full by now if we had been on to the next pasture. But Ricky, until you're Ricky, guys. And I apologize for using Ricky in that, in that sense. 
thick skin, thick skin. Say, I would use Brian, but Brian's in the back this morning, right? (laughs) Does that make sense, guys? See, this is the hard thing about corporate life. This is the hard thing about a body of believers. Is that sometimes we're the ones, sometimes we're the 99. Sometimes we say, why are we doing this? Why Why do we sing that song? See, one of the things that we try to make much of here is that we are an intergenerational church. And so that means that we span from young to older. And with that comes different backgrounds. Not just different lights, but different backgrounds. Last week, when we sang that first song, that old kind of southern gospel song, like I said, I could see my granddaddy in heaven going, get it, boys. Man, that was just... And yet I'm, I asked... How many of you, that was the first time you've ever heard that song? And there's, you know, several of, the, of our students here and some younger adults. You know, I've never heard it before in my life. It's one of those things that, guys, when you have a corporate body, you're going to have variation. And so what, Paul, what Peter does here is he says, okay, look, I want you to have a strong leadership. You're the pastor. You're the elder. You're the shepherd of these people. So you've got to take them in a direction Don't be shy about leadership, but do it with the heart of a shepherd. Look at verse 2. He said, Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for a shameful gain, but eagerly. We could instantly begin to think about maybe some of the current day Christian charlatans that are out there. That we're going, hey, that whole ministry is just so that he can have that weird jet or whatever it is. And and certainly that applies here. I don't want to waste my time or your time this morning of of putting that as the focus. No, the instruction that is helpful here is that we see that this pastor shepherd is a calling. Not just a a pastor that you would think of as the lead pastor, but our elders, the the Radleys and the Bruces and the Andes and the the Bryans and and, and Jeff and and other pastors that are are here, that that this is a calling. In fact, in the Bible, Paul wrote in in 1 Timothy that you aspire to be this, that that if God lays upon your heart, this is a good thing that you aspire for. In other words, what he's saying is, okay, it's one of the reasons, let me put it this way, it's one of the reasons I love counseling. I hate that people are going through really tragic things in their life. But what a privilege. What a privilege to take the beauty of God's word, the wisdom of God's word, and to come and just be, meet with people and say, okay, guys, I know right now it looks kind of hopeless. kind of looks like right over right now you're overwhelmed, but here's the truth of God's word. That's why I like premarital counseling. I mean, I love it. Because I think marriage is one of the most beautiful things God ever created. And to be able to get a foundation in that young couple's life of the beauty of marriage and really get it in that spiritual basis and take them all the way back to Genesis 2 and 3 and see the beauty of this treasure that God has gifted us within marriage is really kind of cool. That's why I like men's discipleship. It's not a chore. And somebody came up one time and they said, well, we've been hurting for several weeks, Pastor, but we just didn't want to call you. We know that you're busy. And that hurts my heart. This someone's out there hurting. And, and again, I, I, I'm probably not going to call you because I don't know that you, know, you want somebody. But always available. Always available. And I know the other shepherds of this church, the other elders are too. Why? Because it's a calling. It's not a chore. It's a calling. So I love men's discipleship. In fact, 
An opening has come up. If, if you like men's discipleship, you can meet at 6 o'clock in the morning, 615, 630. Uh, Tuesday, every other Tuesday has opened up on the schedule. If, you, if that's something you'd be interested, please give me a call. We meet every other, uh, I mean, we would, you and I would meet every other Tuesday at your convenience before your work and uh, something I absolutely love to do. Now, I say that not to put attention, please don't hear his attention here. I'm saying this is what Peter's talking about is that this is the joy that we get because it's our calling. It's like being a dad or a mom. We asked a couple weeks ago, is there burdens with being a mom or a dad? And there was a resounding, yes. It was even more resounding a couple weeks ago. Maybe you're mellowed out in the summer now. You know, a lot of pool time has helped that. But no, there was a resounding. And yet, what a calling. That you get this little mind and this little heart. And that you get to instruct and mold and be part of the process that God uses to create in this little human, a big human one day. Is that not like the most incredible thing ever that God would gift you with that privilege? And yet, is it a burden sometimes? It really is. In the sense of, oh my goodness, I'm overwhelmed right now. I mean, PBs, I don't even know how y'all do it with triplets. I mean, the first thing the kids learn, divide and conquer. And they're really good at that, aren't they? Yeah. You go that way, I'm going that way. You go. And they send... Four different places, and there's only two of you. Thank goodness God gave you four arms. You know, and you can run fast. It's a burden, but it's not a heavy burden. It's the good kind of burden. Why? Because you have joy in doing it, seeing a little one come into a bigger one, and then one day, them having little ones, and we see that legacy begin to happen. That's what he's instructing here. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have the heart of the shepherd. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. One of the most frustrating things that we all heard growing up was, because I'm your mom, or because I'm your dad. And sometimes that's all we had left. I mean, that was all we had left at the end of the day, right, Jody? It's like, that's all I have left for you. And, And that should be sufficient. And yet we know that that's not really your parenting style. You know, that's just that moment of frustration. And yet... That's what he's saying here. So look, just because you are a pastor elder, you have to be, have this privilege of this position. Do not hold this over now. You don't do this for your own gain, but be an example to the flock. And again, we go back to Christ. Always serving as that example. Verse 4, he talks about, he just gives a, a quick word there. He said, okay, guys, hang on, pastors. I know it's kind of tough sometimes. But one day you're going to get your reward. When Christ comes back, you're going to get this reward that's just incredible. And then let's finish with verse 5 here. He's given all these different instructions to pastors and elders. And we covered them quickly. You can go back and kind of see all seven of them in there and individually take those out. But now he gives one instruction to the body of Christ. Likewise, in other words, I'm not giving you anything that I did not already give to the pastors and the elders. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And the first thing is, okay, is that just for the younger ones? The word that he uses here, most scholars would interpret to be younger by experience, not younger necessarily by age. Because the word elder isn't just an older person. The elder is the the person who truly is the, the shepherd, the pastor, the overseer. 
And that's who he's been talking to. Now he talks about this younger one, and he's not just talking about people that are 30 and under. No, he says, okay, more than likely, the, the shepherds are a little bit more trained. And he says, so you're younger in experience. Let me give you an illustration that I, I think you understand. When I turned 50 years old, 50 years old, okay? But my dad was older. Not, not that 50 is decrepit, okay? I, I'm sorry. I just saw a lot of people going, yeah, I wasn't. If he's saying that about 50, what am I? <laughs> you know, I didn't mean it that way. What I meant is 50, you've got a, you've got a little bit of experience under your feet. It's not your first rodeo. You, you, you know a little bit. You have some, hopefully, wisdom through doing the wrong thing, if nothing else, and finding out, okay, don't do it that way. And yet at 50, as a dad, my dad was in his 70s. And so I'm still the younger dad. I'm 50, which isn't super young, but it's certainly younger than my dad. And that's how Peter is addressing this. When he says younger, he's not saying a certain age group. He's not just saying little kids or the teenagers. He's saying, okay, a lot of the people that fly, maybe you don't have you know, that experience, maybe per se. And he said, so, so don't throw back. Don't argue. Don't. Now, he's not talking about blind fellowship. He's not saying, okay, you get whatever the pastor says. Again, that's why we have the plurality of elders, so that if I just go off bonkers, that you, you've got other guys, and they will. They'll, they'll come and say, Bobby, that, that was just biblically wrong. How could, you, how could you get up there and preach that? That was just wrong. That didn't kind of you know, go along with the word. And I would expect that. In fact, I would expect you as a people to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Remember, the Apostle Paul, at his height, was going town to town and preaching, and he comes into this place, and the Berean church, they hear the sermon, and what did they do? They went back to the Scripture, which would have been the Old Testament that they had, and said, okay, let's make sure it checks out. Now, Paul could have got really haughty over that. How dare you? Do you not know who I am? I am the Apostle Paul. No, he says just the opposite. He says, man, what a blessed church. I preached, and you actually went back and you checked it out. You actually went back to see, to make sure that it was concurrent with biblical truth. And he applauded them for it. So this is not blind following. This is not just kind of going along. No, this is that we would have the heart of cooperation, a heart of, humili- uh, of, of humility. Humble humility in action is that we're both willing to be led. One of the major signs of the healthy New Testament church that we see is this corporate heart of humility. Leaders being humble and have a shepherd's heart, and a people following, not blind following, not, hey, we'll do whatever he says, even if it's the wrong thing. No, a, a, a corrected and a measured following based on the truth, but a heart that is humble. What happens in marriage and in family life when you have parents 
that humble themselves one another. And then you have kids that are humble toward their parents and parents that are humble toward their kids. How many of you would like to live in that home? Yeah. Because if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. And I promise you, if that was heard a thousand times, I deserved it two thousand. And you don't realize it, again, to, to all of our students here, this is not in any way trying to down y'all, but you don't realize until you actually are looking across and now you're the dad and you get that and you're going, oh my goodness, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And you realize, oh my goodness, I did that. And for the first time you kind of understand, man, I wish I would have had a little bit more humble heart. My mom and dad, they loved me and they loved me well. And they were saying that for instruction because they were molding this little human into a bigger human. I think any of us would love to live in that house where there was mutual humility, parents to kids, kids to parents. And that's what Peter calls for the church to be. He says, leaders, lead, and lead well, but lead with the heart of a shepherd. Look again at verse 5 as we close. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. In other words, purposeful, pointed toward one another. And then he quotes from the Old Testament from uh, Proverbs. God approaches the proud, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's the same quote from the Old Testament, from Proverbs, that James uses in James 4, 6. That's where James got it. They're both quoting Old Testament. In other words, this wisdom's been along. This isn't new wisdom. Peter's just introducing it to the New Testament church because that's a new place. Here's my prayer for Cornerstone Church. Number one, before I get into the prayer part, I would think that I'm speaking for the other elders. Certainly you can correct me. You can uh, add, add your uh, valuable input. What a privilege it is to be able to lead such a wonderful people. You are caring people. You are loving people. You're supporting people. But you're not a perfect people. Which really goes well because we try to be good shepherds and we try to do this, but we're not perfect pastors, elders. And so we take our imperfections and then your imperfections and look what he says there, okay? With humility, with humility, if we humble ourselves and we point that humility toward one another, what does God bring to the table? Grace. You humble yourselves and God says, okay, you know what we need right here is, you know, you're still going to like this song, you're going to like this song, you're going to like this way, you're going to like, you think it's too dark a color, you think it's too light a color. All that's going to happen, guys. Okay, we all have our preferences and we all have our sins, okay? But man, if we humble ourselves, God says, I'll bring grace. I'll bring grace to the table. So that when you walk out those doors, you still may have your own opinions, and you should have your own opinions. It's what makes us unique and wonderful. But he said, you'll be one body. And that's my prayer for CS. 
We are an imperfect leadership and an imperfect people serving a perfect God who promises grace in the midst of our imperfections as we just simply try to love on this community. We are prone to pride. We're prone to our own way, every one of us. And yet, with the humble example of Jesus Christ leading the way, the servant leader, when we model our lives after him, when we stick to the word and just then we will be that encouragement. That's why this is not a command in the sense of Peter back there with the whip going, okay, boys, pastors, you do this. Okay, flock, you do this. No, he's exhorting. He's inciting to encouragement to carry out the high call of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you're a people that uh, allow us to, to preach from the Word, just going verse by verse. That you say, well, you know, we really need a couple of sermons on this because that's what I like. You allow us flexibility in what we see and how we try to lead in, in different ways. You allow us the great privilege to love on your kids. You allow Jeff and Sherry to take these little humans that you've molded up into I was going to say semi-human that may actually be pretty appropriate at times. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, that are still in, in, in allowing us the privilege of, of, of adding two more hands or four more hands in that molding process. Is that not the coolest thing in the world? Is that not the coolest thing in the world? We are a blessed people, folks. We are a blessed We're not a perfect people. We are a blessed people because God has given us one another. And this we rejoice in because this is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, we didn't skip over this, Father. In one way, it seems like, okay, it really didn't address some of the, the personal needs that we need and have if we're facing financial difficulties or if we're going through sickness or trying times or we're dealing with uh, rebellion in the marriage or rebellion in the home. And yet, Father, what you teach us in this picture of a healthy church is a model of how to do life together with, within the family, within a, a work setting. And you point to this beautiful trait, this characteristic, this discipline of humility as one that, that brings grace and mercy in the times of need. So, Father... We leave here this morning praying for our students as they go off to Woodlands Camp, as they go off to, to Beach Mountain this week, the older ones. And, and Father, we, we lift them up. What a privilege that we can be a couple more hands in this molding process. Father, thank you for the discipleship that, that goes on amongst the members. Father, thank you for, for meals that are brought over, that are brought over to, to, to people when they have had sickness or different things. Thank you for the privilege of being part of the body of God. So, Father, let us go out of here this morning knowing that, uh, that we are a blessed people. And Father, that you would use this church for your glory. We are far from finished. 
Father, help the elders to truly have shepherds' hearts. Father, give in us, this, in this calling that we have, a heart of a shepherd. Help us to love and to lead well. And thank you for your forgiveness when we stumble and fall and fail. And we hurt the very people that you've called us to serve. Thank you for grace as we pray all this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.